we're talking about here is a surrounding or pervading mood, environment, or influence. And there's been times uh, that I know in our marriage that there's been some romantic times. I remember uh, there's this doesn't always have to be the husbands doing it for the wives. The wives can do it for our husbands. Probably the best time that I've ever I, I, I ever got my husband's when he turned 21 it was we were still engaged at that time and I had some of my friends come and help me and and uh, we that's back when we had this uh, small church building and uh, Pastor Josh and I were the youth pastors at that time and I had set up these little rose petals that went up to this upper attic in the church and we had candles and stuff and uh, got to surprise them with dinner and music and so I thought I wanted to pass out to you guys if I can have one too I forgot to grab one a little rose petal here to let you know that God wants that kind of intimacy and romance with you and the verse that's on here is song of songs 216 or song of Solomon 216 and it says I am my lover's and he is mine. And God wants you to know that he loves you and he desires a personal, intimate relationship with you. So if you have a Bible or a journal or something, you can keep that and it can remind you of God's love. So we want to go back and and kind of the setting of this is is starts in Genesis. So we want to go back to the uh, book of Genesis. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Or you can follow along on the screen. We also have a talk it over sheet that's in your bulletin if you want to follow along with notes. But we're going to go back to Genesis here. I want us to kind of set a stage for you and remind you of some of the things that God did. See, God created paradise, paradise for us. There's a song that's out right now that's one of my favorite songs. And there's a line in it that says that he didn't want heaven without us. So he sent Jesus down for us. And I just think that's so beautiful that God didn't want heaven without us. And so he sent Jesus without, uh, to, to come down and make a way for us to have intimacy. But before then, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created Adam and Eve. And he created a garden. The Bible actually says that he literally planted that garden. And he created intimacy. And he walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve sinned. They fell into sin. They ate the forbidden uh, fruit. Most of us know that story. And when that happened, they hid from the presence of God. And that's what started the separation of our, pres- of our relationship with God. The Bible says in Genesis 3, 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, most scholars believe that God oftentimes would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. They had fellowship together. But after an Adam and Eve sinned, they were afraid to walk with God, and they were afraid of his presence. And that was something that we can see throughout the Bible of being having a, a, a fear of entering into relationship of the presence of God. And that, wasn't, that was never God's original plan. That wasn't his perfect will. But in order for us to have that godly atmosphere, and that's what we're going to talk about today, having and walking in a godly atmosphere, we've got to learn to walk with God again. We've got to learn to not be afraid of his presence. And so we're going to hit four steps here. Say four steps. Needed to walk in a godly atmosphere. Step one, 
We're going to break down that word walk as an acrostic. And step one is we need to understand worship. Worship is so important, friends. Worship is, is, is deeper than, oh, that's my favorite song that she sang today. Or, oh, I don't like that song that was sang today. Worship is more than music. It's, it's more than coming to church and having 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes, if you're, if you're blessed, of, of singing to the Lord. Worship is more than music. It is our, it's, it's adoration towards the Lord. It's that intimacy that God desires. And see, God created us for worship. First Chronicles 16, 23, and 25 says this, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. See, worship takes the focus off of us and puts the focus on God. That's what worship is, is focusing on the Lord. See, Satan deceived Eve in the garden when he said, did God really say? If you go back and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the serpent came and said, well, did God really say that you couldn't eat of, of this tree in the middle of the garden? See, all deception starts with this. Did God really say? All deception starts with questioning God's word. And we live in a, a, a day and age today that we have to be so careful to understand the truth of God's word. The Bible says that we should know the truth and the truth will set us free. But the truth is Jesus and his word. The word and worship go hand in hand. They're not two separate things. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But all deceptions, friends, start with doubting God's word. Satan deceived Eve in the garden by tricking her to eat the forbidden fruit. He deceived her to get her eyes off of God and her eyes on herself to eat the fruit because what? She looked at it and saw that it was pleasing to the eye. Worship, friends, is keeping our eyes on him, focused on God. When we get our eyes off him, that's when idolatry happens. And one of the Ten Commandments, the first one is, is that there should be no other gods before me. And then it goes on and it says that to not have, to not to worship any other idol. And that's getting our eyes off of God and our eyes on other things. And sometimes the God that we worship the most in America is called self. Getting our eyes on ourself. But see, friends, the story doesn't end there. Adam and Eve sinned. Their worship was disturbed. They no longer were able to walk in God's presence. Because God and sin cannot dwell together. God can't dwell with sin. But that is why Jesus came. He came to restore relationship, to restore intimacy with God. That's why some people say the Bible is God's love letter to his people. Jesus had to come. He had to restore true worship. I liked how Jesus told the woman at the uh, well in John chapter 4, He explained worship this way. He said, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, the antidote of a broken relationship with God was provided by Jesus on the cross. He's the one who made a bridge 
back to walking in the cool of the day with God. Jesus gave us his best preventative against false worship in John 4, 23 and 24. Listen to this. All true worship must worship God in spirit and in truth. That is why true worship takes place on the inside, in the heart of the, uh, of the spirit of the worshiper. You can get up and you can be dancing and jumping and your mind can be somewhere else, friends. Can someone, there we go. I'm too far away, guys. I got I to gotta scoot co- closer. I feel way like, there we go. That's where I like to be. <laughs> True worship is on the inside. You can be doing the best motions with the best of them. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't equal true worship. True worship has to be in the heart or the spirit of the person. Worship pleasing to God must be unfringed and transparent, offered with a humble and pure heart. But that's not enough. It needs to be worship and truth. What did I say needs to go together? Worship and the word. Because the word is truth. It always has to go together. That's why the best worship songs are ones that are saturated in, in scripture and saturated in good godly doctrine. But worship has to be in truth. It has to connect our hearts and our spirit of worship to the truth of God and his work of redemption as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and in the scriptures. Jesus made a way. There was Our worship was broken in the garden. And after Adam and Eve, we were all born with the inclination to sin. We were all born with, with that desire to please ourselves, to worship ourselves. But Jesus came so that we again could walk with him, friends. The whole, the whole story of the Bible is that Jesus wants relation, he wants you to have relationship with his father. That God didn't want heaven without you. And so he sent Jesus so that we, that, that heaven could come down to us in Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. And now when we accept him into our heart, when we have true worship, not just coming and singing a song, not just lifting our hands when, when, when Dorinthia tells us to or, or going to the left or going to the right because that's what the song says. No, true worship, friends, having a heart that's surrendered to God that says, I'm not going to worship any other God before you, including my own agenda, including my own self, including what's on my mind and what's in my attentions. No, God, I'm going to let you have every part of me, every part of my heart, and I'm going to line up my motives even with your word and your truth. Friends, that is true worship. And when we have true worship, then you're going to be able to walk with God. See, Enoch was in the Old Testament, and the Bible says that he walks with God until he was no more, until God took him up with him. He never even died. God just said, man, this man knows how to worship. We're, we're already, we're just living life together, and, and basically there's, wherever Enoch is, heaven is with him. So I might as well just take him to heaven with me. Friends, God desires intimacy with you. You were created for worship. You weren't created to give God an hour and a half on Sunday morning, and that's it. You were created for worship, for intimacy. You were created to be able to hear his heart. You were created to be able to have such deep relationship with him, to walk in the cool of the day with God. But when our worship of God was cut off, Jesus made a way 
for it to come again. Friends, through Jesus, we can have true worship again, the kind of worship that brings heaven to earth. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus said when, they, when the disciples said, teach me to pray. In the Our Father prayers, that your will would be done on what? On earth as it is in heaven, friends. This is the kind of worship that changes atmospheres. This is the kind of worship that when people really enter in and they don't care what's going around around them, but they're saying, God, I, I want to focus on you. My eyes are off the music, off the sound, off the person next to me, off of what I'm going to be doing after church. And my mind is focused on you and who you are. That's true worship. See, and that's the kind of worship that God comes and dwells with. It says in Psalms 22, verse 3 in the World English Bible, but you are holy. You who inhabit the praises of Israel, the praises of your people, you who inhabit the praises of your people. See, the Bible says that he inhabits. That means he dwells with those. If you want God to come close, when you start worshiping, he comes close. Pastor Josh told me that the Lord spoke to him this weekend that, you know, yes, our worship needs to be for an audience of one. But we have to know that there is power in our worship. And sometimes When we worship, it sets captives free. Right? Sometimes when we worship, our worship, it it makes God come and sit with us, invade, that heaven invades earth to the point that captives are set free. When Paul and Silas were in jail in the book of Acts, and it, it was the midnight hour, and there was no CD players back then. There was no iPods uh, and iPods back then. They didn't have a worship team in the jail with them. It was just two men that began to sing and worship the Lord together. And their worship was so sincere and so true that even when they were in jail, their worship began to change and shift an atmosphere. And their worship began to to shake the ground. And it began to make chains fall off. And it, it caused God to literally come and and invade heaven, invade earth to the point that the prison doors flew open, friends. Our, our, Our worship should be for an audience of one, but when you really get there with him, friends, that kind of worship sets captives free. It sets us free from what is what is keeping us bound. We need true worship so that we could walk in a godly atmosphere when we begin to to shift the atmosphere when when we walk into a place and we carry the presence of god with us i've been talking to some people about the greatest one of the greatest ministries is the ministry of presence some people feel like well you know i i just i'm not at a place that i can ride the van or do pickups for pastor earl and renee i'm not at a place where i can get down on my knees and help with with three-year-olds anymore but you can still be in a place that you can have the ministry of presence. And what that means is that you carry God's presence with you. That when you walk into a room, the atmosphere, the, the mood changes because you carry God's presence with you. There's something different about you. I, a few uh, months ago when my, my oldest son turned 13, we went and we got a savings account for him. And he got to talk to the, the manager of the bank. And this manager had such an awesome attitude and such an awesome influence about him. You could just just sense something was different about him. 
And come to find out after they were talking, and, and Joshua actually, uh, he likes this guy so much, he tried to recruit him for Vision Ministries on his own. I didn't tell him to do this, but he, like, busted out his wallet and had a little invite card. And was like, man, you got to come to our church. We need people like you. You know, he was just like, he, he, he uh, and come to find out this guy was actually a, a pastor's kid himself and led worship at, at his dad's church. And so Shua and him had a little something in common. But when Joshua walked out of that bank, he told me, he said, Mom, the whole atmosphere It's different because of that guy. I said, Joshua, it doesn't matter where you work. When you are a Christian, you carry God's presence with you. And when you're there, that atmosphere shifts. That's worship, friends. What you feel when Lady D is up here singing, that is what you can carry with you to your workplace. That is what you can carry with you to your home life. But you've got to choose to walk with God. You got to choose to do it. I want to talk about just a couple practical things of how you can purge the atmosphere maybe in your, let's, let's start in your home, but you can apply this to your work life. Okay. One thing that Josh and I have done from, from the very beginning is we play worship music in our home. And uh, Josh likes it a little louder than I do, but we play worship music in our home. And... <laughs> I'll walk in the back room and we, we, our garage is attached to our back room. And so I come in through the garage and walk in through the back room and the worship music is already playing in our home. It's just there all the time. I remember, um, Isaiah Rose, mom, Terry, she would have worship music on. And that's before you were able to, you know, this back in the day, you couldn't hook up surround sounds have like every room. And so you would walk into the bathroom and she would have a radio there and you're sitting there using the bathroom and you got worship music going on. But she's sh- she literally saturated her home in worship music. And I'm telling you what, it, it, it changes the feel of your house. If you have problems where you're constantly nitpicking and arguing and fighting and strife going on with your spouse or with your children, put some worship music on. Put some worship music on. I'm telling you, it changes things. Something else that we do that, that practically, uh, that's something that's practical. And listen, you don't have to call Pastor Josh or Pastor Joy or Pastor Earl or any of the pastors up to come do this for you. You have authority. You can do this for yourself. We take anointing oil and we periodically anoint our home. We go over the doors, we go over the windows, and we pray God's blessing. You do not need a priest, a pastor, a father, a mother, a sister to do this for you. You carry the presence of God. If you are a born-again Christian... You carry the presence of God with you. You've got to start learning to do this for yourself. Take some oil and anoint your home and pray God's blessing. And don't just do it as a one-time thing. Oh, I anointed my home one time 25 years ago. No, no. I periodically go through and get that. Sometimes I get, my, I get them all when they're sleeping. I'll go, they, they'll wake up with a, with an oil spot on their head. And I don't even know what's going on. I'll get them when they're sleeping. They don't even know what's going on. Just go over there and pray for them. Lord, bless them. I mean, sometimes that's the best way because then they're not, they can't resist anything. It's just going right into the, I, I mean, I've climbed on top of my children when they've been sleeping before, face to face, and I will just start praying over them, speaking life over them. They don't know they're sleeping. You're the mom. You're the dad. You're the one that carries the presence and anointing and authority of your home. Worship shifts an atmosphere, but we've got to learn to walk in worship. But friends, most of us don't even know how to endure worship for 20 minutes in a church service. How are we going to learn to walk in it? We've got to learn to walk in it. 
guess what? You go to work, you got a 20-minute commute, 15-minute commute. Some of you got longer than that. That's a great time to put some worship music on. Put some worship music on in your car on your way to, to, to work. Worship the Lord and that, get yourself built up so that when you go into that place, and everybody with their bad attitudes and bad, that's not going to affect you because you've already saturated yourself in the presence of God. I said that God walked with them in the cool of the day, that his presence was saturated in that place. He set a perfect environment, friends, and yet they still sinned. Sometimes we can set a perfect environment even in our home and still fall. But the good thing is, is that it's not about how many times we fall. It's about who we place our trust in. And that's when worship and truth comes together. Worship in the word. Jesus is the word. He is the truth. You are forgiven. But I want to give you just a few practical things that you can do that, that worship can help create an atmosphere and help change it, help you learn to walk in a godly atmosphere. I really, truly believe that worship is one of the steps that we need to take to really walk with God. How many of you guys want to take that challenge today? How many of you guys want to say, God, I want to increase my worship before you today? Okay, if you're new and maybe you don't have, maybe you're new to the Lord and you don't really know any good worship, let me tell you, even Pandora, it's a free internet radio, uh, Elevation Worship, great one to look up, okay? Hillsong, great one to look up. Bethel, great one to look up. Eddie James, my favorite gospel singer, great one to look up, okay? So there's four different ones that you can look up. Start worshiping the Lord, not just when you get to church. Worship the Lord in your house. Worship the Lord in your car. Worship the Lord as you come and as you go, amen? So that's one of the first steps that we need to walk in a godly atmosphere. When we worship God, our atmosphere changes because what? God shows up. He inhabits the praises of his people. Worship is the first step needed in a godly atmosphere. Another step that we need to take to walk, say walk, in a godly atmosphere is we need to understand assignment. Say assignment. Assignment is so important. God didn't just put Adam in the garden and say, I created a perfect atmosphere, a perfect environment for you. Now you can just chill, relax. Just chillax. My daughter told me I'm not very good at chillaxing, and she's more like her daddy because she can chillax. I was like, I can chillax. What are you talking about? I'm way chill now. I'm way more chillax. She's like, Mom, you're not chillax. But that's okay. That's not my personality. I guess I'm not as chillax as some people. But I understand assignment. I understand the importance of fulfilling what God has called us to do, what God has called me to do. I understand that I have been created with a purpose. And friends, I want you to understand there is an assignment that is on your life that only you can fulfill. And in the church, we've got it so backwards. We think that the only people who have assignments on their lives are those who are the preachers, the missionaries, the pastors, the apostles, the, the traveling speakers. Those are not the only ones with assignments on their life. They're the ones that had that assignment on their life. But every single one of us has an assignment on our life to bring God glory. God didn't just put Adam in a perfect environment, in a perfect atmosphere. That he created for him, for him to chillax. He gave him assignment. He gave him work to do. Even in the garden. Man, I hate to tell you, 
And really, mankind, people, I hate to tell you, work is not just part of the curse. Sometimes people, you know, they want to say work, well, that was part of the curse. No, hard work was a part of the curse. God created us to work. Adam and Eve helped tend the garden, and guess what? Adam named the animals, and Adam and Eve both were told to have dominion over the earth. That's before the curse. That's before sin. That's before they ate. Of the forbidden tree. That's before sin entered into our world, friends. Work was there. God created us for an assignment, for a purpose, for a mission, to work. And we've got to ask the Lord, what is my assignment? What is my purpose? God has given us one. I want to talk for a minute. Uh, well, first I want to hit Ephesians 2.10 because I love this verse. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God, in the, in, when you actually look here in the original language, when it says that we're his handiwork, that is basically, in so many words, saying that we are his masterpiece. Out of all creation, that you are the most special, friends. And also, it says that he's created us, not just to be a masterpiece to be put up on display, but for us to also do good works. And he gave us those good works in advance to do. So you have an assignment. We just got to line up with heaven and figure out what that assignment is. Do you know, I also want to just take a moment to share with you guys just a little bit of my heart for Vision Ministries. Can I do that? Can I just take a, we're going to, I'm going to go back and then I'm going to come back to us individually, but I want to come to talk to us collectively for a minute. Can we do that? Um, how many of you guys know what our assignment at Vision Ministries or our purpose statement is? Can someone just say it out loud? If you know what our purpose statement here at Vision Ministries is, someone say it out loud. Oh, put that back down for a second, please. <laughs> too fast for me we've had t-shirts we've had all kinds of things that's that, that says h2o right hope to others that has been our uh mission for the last uh, well it's been our mission for the last 10 years but we clarified that about eight years ago okay that was uh, and so josh and i as god has expanded our assignment um, to go beyond South and Broadway, the Lord has had us in a place that we've really been praying, asking the Lord, like, okay, God, what is this? What does this look like? I understand what this looks like here on South and Broadway, but what is hope to others? What does that look like, you know, in other communities, like the community that we're getting ready to, to plow here in Waterville? What does that look like? And so I've been asking the Lord, and there's been something in my heart that I just have felt like I love hope to others, and I know that's who we are, but God, I feel like that's incomplete. And so I went to the Lord and asked the Lord, like, you know, that feels incomplete to me. I feel like we're more than just what we do for others. Because sometimes we can become so uh, focused on the works and, that we forget the worship. We forget Jesus through it. And so the Lord brought me to this scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Our hope is sandwiched in God's presence. Hope without faith and love is no hope at all. And so when I went to the Lord about kind of what is, what, it, what is the complete purpose of vision, I felt like he said this. Vision ministries exist to restore vision to the body. And we've always talked about vision. That's why we named it vision, right? It's a restoring vision to the body 
of Christ so that the body of Christ can share their faith in Jesus, give hope to others and spread the love of God. So simply put, not just hope to others, but faith in Jesus, hope to others and love for God. Do you see how that goes together, how that's a little bit more completed? Because sometimes we're only focused so much on what we can do for others that we forget to take care of our relationship here, the most important one, our relationship with God. See, God said the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love others as you love yourself. You will find yourself in a place where you will burn out, and we have seen that happen over and over in the last almost 10, 11 years of vision ministries, of people coming in with all all guns ready to just save the world for Jesus and find themselves burnt out because they're so focused on what they can do for others that they forget about their faith in Christ and the love for God. And so when I went before the Lord and, and really it was Pastor Josh who said that, that we're missing some of the most important things. It's not just about giving hope to others. It's about where's God in that? We got to make sure that we're focused on God and our worship for God. And so doesn't that make a little bit more sense? Right? The greatest three is what? Paul said the greatest three is Faith, hope, and love. I want to make sure our hope to others is sandwiched in faith in Christ and love for God. Amen. So we're going to make sure that we get that guy, we get that in your guys' heads. We're going to make sure we write that everywhere. We'll probably get t-shirts this summer about that, but I want to just kind of clarify that for you all so that you would know vision ministries exist to restore vision to the body of Christ by sharing our faith, giving hope to others, and spreading the love of God. That's what God has created us to do as a church. But individually, we each have an assignment on our life as well. And we need to go before the Lord and ask him, what is that assignment? And friends, when you know the assignment that God has placed on your life, you will see the atmosphere around you, the mood around you change. You will see, your inf- you will see that God will spread and give you more influence because you're carrying his presence because you're walking in a godly atmosphere. So number one, worship. Number two, know your assignment. Step three, we have to realize that you were created in God's likeness. Say likeness. Likeness. Genesis 1:27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Some translations say in his own likeness. So image and likeness is the same here. We were created to be like God. See, I found it uh, interesting when I went back and read the uh, uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that the, the evil one tempted Eve by saying, you know, if you eat of this, you will be like God. But God created mankind in his image, so they were already like God. And yet that there is a deception because she fell into getting her eyes off of God and his commandments and onto something that looked pleasing to her eyes. And Adam fell into that same sin. And that, friends, was interesting to me to look back again and read that account that I've read many times and think, you know what? We were already created to be like God. And it was easier then than what it is now. But thank God for Jesus Christ, right? Thank God that he made a way. So... Friends, I need us to realize because of Jesus, we can still be like God. Matter of fact, Philippians 2, 5 says that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We need to know who we are in Christ. 
So many of us know what the media says that we are. So many of us know what, what, you know, maybe our parents said that we were or somebody else said that we were or, or our names that we've taken, labels we put on ourselves. But few of us know who we are in Christ. Our identity needs to be in Christ. Can you say amen right there? Our identity needs to be in Christ. In Christ, these are some things, and I'm going to go through them quickly. But in Christ, I am a new creature. Say it with me. In Christ, I am a new creature. In Christ, I am a saint. In Christ, I am part of his church. In Christ, I am a temple for God's spirit. In Christ, I am in the eternal plan of God. In Christ, I am complete and filled Full of the fullness of Christ. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? Come on. In Christ, I am enriched. In Christ, I am accepted. Because God's favor has been poured out upon me. In Christ, I am light. In Christ, I am secure in love, in the love of God. In Christ, I am established, rooted, and built up. In Christ, I am circumcised inwardly. In Christ, I am Near to the heart of God. Friends, we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know that we are more than conquerors. That we are the head and not the tail. That we are victors and not victims. That we are created with purpose. That you have an assignment that you were created in the very image of God. Do not fall into the lie that Eve fell into and begin to doubt what God really says about you. Because deception always starts when you doubt God's word. Did God really say? Yes, God really said that you are the head and not the tail. Yes, God really said that you are a holy priesthood. Yes, God really said that you are loved, that you are his beloved. Yes, God really said these things about you and that's who you are in Christ. So as I was praying and preparing about this word this week and specifically last night, there was a, a poem that my mom wrote a year ago that I wanted to share with you guys again, and it's called Identity. And I believe that many of us here can relate to this poem. So just allow the Lord to speak to you through this today. Identity by Vicki Thomas. Who I was, I was a pleasure-seeking, booze-reeking, drug-consuming, fears-looming, cussing, yelling, story-telling, unbelieving, curse receiving, self-serving, pathway swerving, sin showing, never knowing, 
wilderness plundering, always wondering, lost lamb. But that's who I was, not who I am. Who I am? I'm a Christ-believing, grace-receiving, cross-clinging, praises-singing, spirit-dwelling, Bible-telling, service-standing, truth-demanding, devil-stomping, manna-chomping, fruit-growing, blessings-flowing, armor-bearing, never-faring, loved lamb. Yes, thank Jesus. That's who I am. Friends, God has created you with purpose. God has created you to change an atmosphere. God has created you to carry heaven to earth. Wherever you go. God has created you for worship. God has created you with an assignment. God has created you with his likeness. We have got to start believing who we are in Christ. You will change an atmosphere when you realize who you are, that you were created in God's likeness. The last, last step I want to talk about today in walking in godly, in a godly atmosphere is we need to know God. I've been talking about this all throughout the whole entire message today, but I want to clarify how important it is for us to know God. See, knowing God is the most important thing in walking in a godly atmosphere. When we know God, then we can really know what we were created for. See, God, Jesus Christ looked at Peter when Peter said, when he asked, who am I? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And God said, yes, Peter. And this revelation was given to you, not on your own, but from God. And then he looked at him and said, and you are the rock. Friends, if we want to know who we are, we got to first know who he is. You're more than your job. You're more than your marriage status. You're more than the children that you have. Though these things are important, you're more than that. But when we know God and get to know him, he will tell us who we are. Knowing God is the most important thing. See, God doesn't want you just to know about him. We live in a day and age right now that we think that we know everybody because of the social media and the, the you know, you could just Google anybody and you think you know them. I can go on Pastor Earl's page and see all the cool pictures that he puts up there. And, and when he talks about Vision Kitchen and talks about his wife, and I can think I know him because I follow him on Facebook. But I don't know Pastor Earl because I follow him on Facebook. I know Pastor Earl because... I've been in his corner and been a friend of his for nearly 20 years. That's how I know Pastor Earl and Pastor Renee. Friends, we live in a day and age that we think that we know somebody because we know about them, what they, what they allow us to know about them. But friends, God wants you to know him, not just know about him. God wants you to have a relationship with him. One of the scariest verses in the Bible, if not the scariest verse, and I've said this almost any time I've ever quoted this scripture, is found in Matthew 7, 21 and 23. And listen, with, with, with have ears to hear this scripture today. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
Friends, that says that people, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. That means not everybody who comes to church and says, Lord Jesus. That means not everybody who comes to church and lift their hands and, and, and sing a worship song. That means not everyone who professes Lord really knows Lord Jesus. But he said, but only those who what? The ones who know him know the will of God. They, The ones who know him know God's will for their life, their assignment. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in this day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? That sounds like good things, right? And then he says this, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I can understand if it says, well, you went to church, but you were still smoking up, and you were still, you know, cheating on your, your spouse, and you were still, no, but he said, you prophesied in my name, and you cast out demons in my name. Put away from me, because that's still lawlessness, because you did not do the will of the Father in heaven. You didn't really know me. You didn't really know the assignment, the will of God on your life. That's scary. When I read that, that's scary. When I've looked deeper into this scripture, that word you, where it says, I never knew you, it goes back again to the garden. It goes back to the same Hebrew word where it says, Adam knew Eve. That was a covenant, friends. That was intimacy. God doesn't want you just to come to church. God doesn't want you just to do good things, to volunteer for Vision Kitchen and to serve. Yes, those are awesome things if that's the will of God on your life, friends. But God's will for you is to, the will of God on your life is for you to know the Father. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus made a way. For you to know the Father so that we can have relationship again. So that we can walk again in the cool of the day in his presence. He wants you to really know him. God wants us to be in his presence. He wants relationship. He wants intimacy. Jesus is the bridegroom, friends, not our baby daddy. See, there's a difference. A bridegroom is someone who paid a price. See, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, even, even in Jesus' day, when a, when a man wanted to marry a woman, it was not the father, it was not the bride's family who paid for the wedding. It was the bridegroom who gave all the cattle and the sheep and, and, and said, this woman is worth this. I'm going to give you part of my inheritance to the parents because I'm making a way for her. I'm committed to her. A baby daddy is one who is going to lay in bed and, and, and pretend to be a man but not really take care of his responsibilities. Jesus is not that. Jesus is a bridegroom, not a baby daddy, friends. And we've got to get our minds right. We need to start preparing ourselves for a bridegroom, not a baby daddy. We need to start preparing ourselves. And that means that we need to be a bride. Jesus said he's coming back for his church. 
And he said, he explained his church this way. He didn't, yeah, he explained, you know, talked about his church being a, a building. He talked about his church being many different members. But when he said he was coming back for his church, he described his church this way. He said, I'm coming back for my bride and she's going to be beautiful and she's going to be pure and spotless without fault or wrinkle. I'm coming back for her. I'm coming back for that kind of bride, friends. One who knows me and prepared themselves for me. Not just know about me, not just know what to say, not just to know the Christian lingo. And, 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 the, and yes, we need to have good works so that we can, so people can see our good works and glorify God. But it's not our good works. It's knowing him. It's knowing him. It's the most important things, friend. So when I gave you this rose petal today, my lover is mine and I am his. It's the greatest song ever written, the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a story of Jesus' love for his church. It's the bridegroom calling out to the bride. My lover is mine and I am his. See, God doesn't want to share our Love in that way. I mean, he, he get, it's through our love for God that we can love one another. It's through our love for God that we can love our family. But God wants to be the focus. What's keeping us back from really knowing God? Could it be the scripture that's before? My lover is mine and I am his. Where it talks about, and I mentioned this about a month ago when I spoke last that those are the little foxes that come in and ruin the vineyards? Could it be there's things that are coming in your life and they might not be obvious things. They might not be us Christians are trained to look for the roaring lion. You know, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We're trained to look for that. But what about the little foxes? What about those little things in our life that are coming and they're eating away at our fruit? They're keeping us from producing fruit. They're keeping us from preparing a place that we can be intimate with our lover. Friends, I tell you, it's so important to be like David and say, search me, O Lord. Search my heart. Show me if there's any hidden sin. Show me if there's anything that's keeping me back from right relationship. God, I don't want to just know about you. See, that's religion, friends. Just knowing about God, that's religion. God has created us for relationship. So it's up to us to say, my lover is mine and I am his. Can our musicians go? Up, please, if you guys could stand to your feet with me. It's time to walk again in the presence of the Lord. If you're in a place that you know that you know that you know that you need to know God in a deeper way, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. God wants more than just religion, friends. He wants relationship. He wants relationship. If you're in a place that you're saying, God, not only do I want to know you more, maybe you feel like your intimacy, your personal relationship with God has been good, but you feel like you don't really know what your assignment is. If that's you and you feel like, you know what, I'm not really sure what my assignment is, would you raise your hand before the Lord? Yeah. 
God wants to make that clear for you today. I believe there are some of you in this place today that are dealing with low self-esteem issues as well. There's some of you that are having a hard time believing that you are created in God's likeness. You have a hard time believing those things that we confess. I am. The I am's in Christ. You have a hard time believing that because of your self-esteem issues today. The Lord wants to set you free from that. Would you raise your hand before the Lord as a confession that, you know what, I want to I be set free from that. I want to be set free from those insecurities that's holding me back. Yeah. There's some of you who have allowed the enemy to rob your worship of the Lord. Every time you go to pray, every time you go to press in, your mind is bombarded with all these other to-do things. You can't focus on God. You're, you're constantly in a state of worry and anxiety and panic. If that's you today, friends, God wants to set you free. Is that you today? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask us to do something a, a, a step further. We're talking about taking steps. Right? Step one, worship. Step two, know your assignment. Step three, understand the like that you were created in the likeness of God. Step four is all about knowing God. I want us to take some steps today. If you raised your hand, you're dealing with some of these issues that we have been talking about. Would you take a step and come up here and believe that God wants to touch you at this altar area? This place right here, we've dedicated, we've set aside for a time like this that we can worship the Lord and say, God, I want you to touch me. It's not about... Anyone else laying hands on you, though, we may do that. It's about you getting intimate and personal with God today. Come on up a little bit closer, please. Would you raise your hands in a sign of surrender that we talked about today? Would you raise your hands in a sign of surrender? And even those in your seat, raise your hands in a sign of surrender today. Father God, I just thank you right now in the name of Jesus that every single person that has raised their hands today that has come up here, Lord God, that you would set them free, Lord. That they would know that you love them. That you created them with purpose. God, I pray you would touch them, Lord God. Break every lie of the enemy. Break every anxiety. Break every every lie, Lord God. Every deception. Did God really say these things about me? Does God really love me? Does God really exist? Break the lies of the enemy, Lord. Break religion off your people, Lord God. And legalism off your people. And God, help them have relationship. Help them have relationship with you. Break insecurity, Lord. We're going to just worship one time through. And if you feel like you need to leave, you can go ahead and leave. Everything I give, I give to you, and I surrender all to you, and everything I give, I give to you. I surrender